be here. Welcome to episode 16 of the Human Strength and Nutrition Podcast. Here with me today is Courtney. Yay, I'm back this week. Yep, Courtney's back this week. So, uh, same structure as usual humans. Today, we are going to answer just two questions. One is nutrition related and one is training related. Um, these are questions that we've had from our humans in the past and we thought would be really valuable to share with our wider audience. So, just as a bit of a preview, the first question is going to be related to fasting. Fasting, obviously, is really popular um, on social media and in the mainstream media at the moment. We get a lot of questions about it, so we wanted to talk about the pros and cons of fasting when it's uh, when it's valuable and when perhaps it's not such a great idea. Uh, and then the second question is going to be related to uh, where, whether you should train to failure when you're doing your strength training. So, with that, let's get straight into question number one. So, Courts, can you tell us um, about fasting, when it might be valuable for people and when it might not be so uh, such a good idea? Yes, fasting. Wow, I reckon I talk about fasting um, with at least one of my humans or probably once or twice a week. It does come up a lot. You might have spoken to a lot of people who have lost lots of weight doing the um, – 5-2 diet or the 6-8, whatever it is, the, all the number ones, the 800 calorie, whatever it might be. Um, so, yes, I'm here to hopefully share a little bit more information about fasting, um, the positives and negatives of fasting. Um, but I'll start with my little story about fasting. I used to wake up at 4.15, as a lot of you know, go to the gym and coach. I used to have a black coffee on my way to work probably another black coffee there. Then I'd train about 10 o'clock and then I wouldn't eat my first meal till about um, 10.30, 11.30 probably, lunchtime. So technically I was fasting. The only thing I was having was black coffee. Um, and over time, I feel that this really impacted my um, hormones and my period health. And I'm now I've learned a lot more about it. I do really believe that that had affected it quite a bit. Um, so I have done lots of fasting before. Roy, you've tried some fasting too. Yep. Um, so we have tried it and we have researched about it as well. Um, and so we're here to show you, kind of tell you what we learned and, and hopefully share some light on that for you. So let's start with the pros of fasting. There's not many, to be honest. <laughs> um, fat loss. So, yes, obviously, um, you probably have heard, well, it's not obvious, but you may have heard lots of people say, oh, I'm fasting, I don't eat till lunchtime, and I've lost all this weight, which is very likely that they have done that. Um, when we choose to fast, if our goal is fat loss, essentially, we're restricting calories. So, say we wake up in the morning and we don't eat till 11 or 12 o'clock, we are eliminating perhaps one or two meals there. So breakfast and morning tea maybe. So if you think about um, eliminating one or two meals, you're probably eliminating, you know, two to 500, 600 calories in the morning. So you're already in a most likely calorie deficit if you eat um, your normal meals um, after that. So lunchtime, afternoon tea and, and perhaps dinner. So um, of course, you'll be eating less, which will put you in a deficit, which will obviously lead to a little bit of fat loss. So there's a pro there. The second pro, the only one I could think of was convenience. If you're in a rush and you wake up in the morning um, and you don't have time to have breakfast, then uh, then fasting is great. You just go, oh, I'm fasting, skip the meal and wait till lunchtime. Um, same thing is if you wake up, have breakfast, 
busy at work and don't eat till you get home at dinner time. Yes, that's fasting. You're not eating for quite a long period of time. Um, so obviously is convenient, convenient for you. Um, I wouldn't say that is a very good benefit of fasting, but that's the only other one I could think of besides restricting calories and fat loss. So, um, if your goal is fat loss, then, and you're a male, then I'd suggest that yes, maybe fasting is great for you. Um, but for females, I'm going to touch on that in a little bit. And obviously from my story, that's, um, fasting didn't really help me in terms of my hormones and, and menstrual cycle health. Um, so that's why I wouldn't probably, in my opinion, recommend fasting for females. But the difficulties or, um, the things that may not be good about fasting um, is that firstly, if your goal is muscle gain, which a lot of our humans are trying to build muscle and strength, um, it's quite hard to hit your calories if you miss a meal or two if your goal is muscle gain. Uh, the reason being is that we normally are eating at maintenance or in a surplus to build muscle and to build a little bit of strength. So if you do skip a meal or a few hours of eating, then you try to shovel all that food in in a short amount of time. You have been there, but it's quite difficult, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's not easy. It's not easy when you... But have- as we'll touch on more, even if you are able to get the calories in, it's not ideal from a protein synthesis mm. perspective, which, which is something we'll touch on in a second. Locked in for. So yeah, on, on the protein um, point, uh, if you are fasting, it's quite difficult to hit your protein intake because you know that you are probably eating, um, if you've followed us for a while, we suggest two grams of protein per kilo of body weight. So if you are... Um, like me, 70 kilos, you're trying to eat 140, 150 grams of protein a day. Eliminating two serves of protein or one big serve of protein does make it quite difficult to make that up. So then you'll have to have an extra serve or extra two serves of protein later in the day. And no one wants to be like shoveling dry chicken in their mouth at 7pm at night before bed. So um, it does make it quite difficult in terms of actually reaching your protein target. And as you all know, we're big believers in your protein intake, helping um, not only your long-term health, but muscle gain as well. Um, So on that point, the research actually shows that we want to be having three to four meals of three to four meals is actually optimal to build skeletal muscle and maintain it. So three to four servings of protein. Three to four, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, protein in a meal. Um, so even if you are able to hit your protein intake in one to two meals per day, it's not going to be optimal for muscle gain or maintenance. Which brings us to our third point and final point um, of fasting um, and hormones. So um, girls, you may have heard me talk about this a lot before and it's something that I've experienced through fasting and affecting my hormones. Um, Obviously, fasting is going to affect our hormones, as I mentioned before. Um, Our goal is always to control our blood sugar levels. So this is really important for the females, but also for males as well. And a big question um, I often get is, should I train faster? Do I need to eat before I train? I would normally suggest, yes, that you have some form of food before you train, in particular if you're training in the morning. So if you go to bed, you eat your dinner at 8 p.m., you go to bed at 10 p.m., we then 
are in a fasted state until we wake up. So if we're sleeping for eight to 10 hours, we're fasting for um, those hours and then we wake up, should we eat before we train? I would highly recommend you have something before you train and the reason um, for that is because when we wake up, we don't have enough fuel or energy in our body. So our body does become stressed When we become stressed, our blood sugar levels drop. So when our blood sugar levels drop, our cortisol increases. So the stress hormone cortisol will increase because this will help us get our body balanced. But when we have an increase of cortisol or too much cortisol, our body is in fight or flight mode, meaning our hormones aren't prioritized. So we're not really trying to support or balance our hormones there. Um, Because obviously if we were, you know, trying to run from a bear, Um, the last thing we would be thinking about is um, our hormones. We just are in our fight or flight response there. Um, The other reason for this is if we don't have enough carbs in our body when we wake up and we go to training, um, for females in particular, this really will affect our progesterone levels. And this is why you may have, you know, PMS, heavy periods, or even some girls, you may experience estrogen dominance. So um, for females, I would highly recommend you eating a little bit of protein, a little bit of carbs before you train. Males, it won't hurt you to eat something before you train either, especially if we're in a um, kind of like a stress state already. So a lot of our humans um, are quite on the go. They're waking up, training, getting the kids to school, going to work, um, smashing out their day at work, coming home and on the go at home as well. So we want to make sure that we are supporting those cortisol levels. So eating when we wake wake up is going to really help us um, reset our hormones and keep our blood sugar in control um, for the day as well. Something that I wanted to also mention is that when we wake up, a lot of people will um, have a coffee and head to the gym. So that is okay if you're having caffeine as a bit of a pre-workout. It is a highly researched um, pre-workout out there, caffeine, Um, but that's a topic for another day. I would also suggest that you have coffee with a little bit of food because uh, coffee is also a stress on the body and as I just touched on, um, cortisol will increase. So we want to make sure that we are having food with our coffee to help absorb the caffeine and then obviously support our training as well. Um, that kind of sums up the, um, the fasting part of it. Um, some, some food you could eat before training, a banana, some rice cakes and jam is my favorite thing. Um, some carbs in your protein shake might help as well just um, as you wake up. But another thing to remember is that um, when we're stressed and stress doesn't just have to be from work stress, but stress as a training or not eating or fasting is a stress as well. Stress actually de- depletes us of magnesium Um, and progesterone for the girls as well, along with several other nutrients. So it's quite important to be um, controlling your blood sugar levels by eating, which I guess is why, in particular for females, I wouldn't suggest fasting. So hopefully that answered quite a few questions um, on fasting. If you have any more, you can let me know. But um, yeah, speaking from experience, fasting has really affected um, my hormones. I don't fast anymore, nor do I start my day with a coffee. Um, Roz, how did you find your experience with fasting? Uh, 
when I fasted, I wasn't doing so much high intensity training, but I think it's really important to mention that um, I've heard a, a, another dietitian talk about this before. His, his name is uh, Tom Bellella, and he was saying that uh, he looked at a lot of not just females, but males as well, who would combine fasting and or keto with high intensity training. And he studied their blood work, and what he found was that. Um, in the case of the males, their testosterone would just tank because they were combining already a high-intensity form of exercise with insufficient nutrition. And so this would just send their horm- uh, their, tes- their testosterone down um, and just cause their energy and mood and recovery to tank as well. And so he would just say that anyone who is doing any form of um, hard training and particularly high-intensity, he would steer them away from fasting and he would steer them away from uh, a low carbohydrate diet as well. Um, that is also another a discussion for another time. Uh, the other thing which I think is really important to touch on is that here we're talking about intermittent fasting. So intermittent fasting tends to be some sort of a time-restricted feeding window, like as Courtney mentioned earlier, eight, um, 16-8 or various other methods. Uh, You'll often hear about emerging anti-aging research when it comes to fasting, and I think it's important to distinguish that most of this anti-aging research is done on fasting periods of greater than 24 hours, and these fasting periods will often be um, at a regular uh, period, so it might be once every month or once every few months. Um, You will not uh, so far, the research suggests that you do not get these anti-aging benefits from intermittent fasting. It needs to be at least 24 hours. So, if you're doing fasting in the hope that it will help uh, help with anti-aging benefits, I would say that, uh, yeah, the research suggests that's not the case. And so, that's probably a, a, a if you thought that was a pro for doing fasting, it's most likely not the case. Um, and... The final point which I was going to raise, uh, sorry, two more points, is related to mental um, function or cognitive function. I've heard a lot of people say that they really enjoy fasting or not eating until after about midday because they find it helps their mental performance throughout the day. And this is true. Some people definitely do find that this is the case. But what I would say is that while it might work in the short term, Over time, we find that humans who are regularly doing intermittent fasting, because of all the factors we've mentioned earlier, making it difficult to get insufficient protein, sufficient calories, sufficient carbohydrates, their hormone production over time will suffer. And so even if in the short term they are getting those improved cognitive benefits, uh, it's just not sustainable and and they will find that their energy and mood and recovery will suffer over time. I think that's why we always suggest eating um, regularly eating every three to four hours and balanced meals as well to control those blood sugar levels to help concentration and focus as well. Correct, correct. And uh, the final point I was going to bring up was um, really when you look at all diets that are successful in creating weight loss or fat loss, it all comes down to calorie restriction and that's the same for fasting, that's the same for keto, carnivore, whatever diet you look at, they are really successful um, in the fact that they create a calorie deficit. And so sometimes we feel that fasting gets a lot of positive praise in areas that perhaps it's a bit unjustified 
all it's really doing is helping to create a calorie deficit. And if that does work for you in achieving fat loss and weight loss, might might be an okay short-term strategy, probably not the one we'd recommend, but just be a bit thoughtful if you're um, considering undertaking fasting for the long term because our experience both personally and with humans who we've worked with shows that it's generally not sustainable for performance, energy, mood, hormones, recovery, all those things we've spoken about earlier. Sleep as well. Sleep, for sure, for sure. Uh, Anything else you want to touch on before we move on to the training side of things, Courtney? Um, No, I think that's it. I think it's also important, um, and you all know that I work with females as well, but to remember that um, all these things can still – all the things I just mentioned that that will occur from fasting can also come from under eating as well and that's something we work with. Like a lot of clients, if they want to lose fat, they think they have to eat less and less which essentially is under eating and under nourishing and this will also cause the same things that I touched on in terms of difficulty building muscle or even losing muscle mass which is what we don't want, um, affecting sleep recovery, increasing stress levels, effect on the hormones and menstrual cycle too. So um under eating and fasting, almost, yeah, quite similar. Mm-hmm. So that's it. What have we got? Roz, got the training question now. Cool. So yeah, this training question is one that uh, we do receive from our humans quite a lot um, who do the high-performing human program. And the question relates to uh, the fact that on the high-performing human program, I, I often encourage humans to leave one to two reps in the tank or in reserve when they're doing their strength training sets. And people often ask why this is. Um, first of all, let me define what one to two reps in the tank means, and then I'll talk about why it can be really valuable. So first of all, talking about one to two reps in reserve, let's say that uh, the prescribed set was eight repetitions you would pick a weight. If I was to say, leave one to two repetitions in reserve for this set, and I prescribed a set of eight repetitions, you would choose a weight that theoretically you could have completed nine or 10 repetitions at, but you chose to only do eight repetitions. So in other words, you're not going to failure for the given set. That's what leaving one to two reps um, in reserve or in the tank means. It means that theoretically, you could have done one to two extra repetitions on the set, um, but you didn't. So, uh, really valuable because um, th- this is something I first learned about from various strength coaches about 10 years ago and it's, it's a principle that I've applied for quite a long time and it's important to remember that the goal of training is progression, not exhaustion. You are trying to stimulate the body in order to drive adaptation and to do this, your lifting needs to be challenging but it does not need to be maximal. When you leave one to two reps in the tank, you still provide the stimulus to drive the adaptation desired without the excessive fatigue which occurs if you lift to failure. And if you leave one to two reps in reserve, it means that you can recover well for your next session and progress. If, on the other hand, you train to failure, you'll find that you accumulate significant fatigue which places a large recovery demand on uh, the body and you'll likely struggle to perform session after session and over time you'll most likely plateau or regress. Now the other aspect of uh, leaving one to two reps in reserve is that if you stay away from failure, your repetition quality will be much higher. This means better technique and a greater bar speed so you're reinforcing quality, powerful repetitions. 
If on the other hand, you approach failure for your working sets, you'll find that your repetition quality is more likely to deteriorate and this means that you're probably reinforcing poor lifting habits and in a worst case scenario, opening yourself up for injury. So, those are all the reasons why we generally recommend that when you're doing your strength training sets, you leave one to two reps in the reserve except for maybe uh, particular parts of a training cycle or or, uh, particular training methods. I also wanted to read a excerpt from MASS, which is Monthly Applications in Sports Science. It's a a monthly review that I get um, every month (laughs) uh, from a few sports scientists, including Eric Helms, Eric Trexler, Greg Knuckles, And what these body of scientists do is they get all the latest research on strength and conditioning and they'll summarize it and provide really practical applications and takeaways from all the research because to go through all this, uh, all these large bodies of research and analyze and assess them yourselves takes quite a lot of time. So, this is what this body of scientists do. They review all the research and then present it to um, strength coaches so that they can implement it into their training programs for their athletes. And so, reading this uh, summary of a particular um, study, Uh, When assessing the total body of literature, it seems quite clear that training a few reps shy of failure is just as good as failure training for hypertrophy and is likely better for strength gains. So, what they're saying is that when you're looking, uh, in looking at all the research in strength and conditioning that they've conducted over the years, um, assessing when people train to failure versus when they leave one to two reps in reserve. It's very clear that tra- uh, that leaving one to two reps in reserve is just as good for hypertrophy, which is muscle growth, if not better. And the research clearly shows that it's better for long-term strength adaptation. So, if you want to get strong, you should definitely not be training to failure. You should be tra- uh, leaving one to two reps in reserve each set you do, lifting with a really high uh, quality technique, moving the bar with good speed, producing power, reinforcing these good lifting habits, and that's how you're going to progress over time, as opposed to if you're training to failure, as I said earlier, your technique is going to break down, you're reinforcing poor movement habits, your bar speed is going to slow down, and you're just grinding through a lot of ugly repetitions, which could um, ultimately end up injuring you. Also, it's harder to recover as well when going to failure. It is much harder to recover, yeah, and that's something uh, another another strength coach who um, I really respect, Mike Isratel, talks about all the time. He talks about the stimulus to fatigue ratio. And when you leave one to two reps in the reserve, you're still providing that required stimulus to drive the adaptation, but the fatigue is much lower. On the other hand, when you train to failure, the stimulus to fatigue ratio is much worse, so it takes longer and more um, more resources to recover between each training session. And what that means over uh, the course of training, as I said earlier, is that your training quality will be suffering over time and you won't be able to progress. You might find that you plateau or even regress if you're constantly uh, training to failure. Imagine, imagine pairing that with fasting. A disaster. It would be a <laughs> massive disaster. Uh, I have a question. This yes. might be a question for another day, maybe. But um, perhaps like a lot often we hear um, one to two reps in the tank or eight to ten, eight out of ten effort. How are they 
different because you might be like, oh, like one to two reps in a tank. If I was lifting 10, that's about eight reps. That's 80%. How is it different to eight out of 10 effort? So, often there's something called an RPE or a rate of perceived exertion, um, which is a scale. Zero to 10 is the most common form, 10 being maximal effort, zero being basically no effort. Um, The best and most uh, uh, common way to use this scale recently is to use the RPE, RPE scale as an indication of reps in reserve. So, in other words, if a set was a 10 out of 10, that would mean that you have no reps in reserve. If you uh, perform a set at 9 out of 10 RPE, that would signify that you have one rep in reserve. If you perform a set 8 out of 10, it would signify that you have two reps in reserve. So, really subtracting the amount of reps that you have in reserve from the RPE scale. That's how most strength coaches um, recently have been using the RPE scale. Uh, and that's how I would recommend using it as well. And that's why for most of my uh, training, w- while I generally use reps and reserve as a uh, as a guide because it's much clearer, occasionally I will tell people to aim for approximately an 8 out of 10 um, for their RPE scale. Uh, and that generally, as I said, gives them the stimulus desired. The, the set is still challenging and it's going to drive adaptation without being excessively fatiguing and leading to technique breakdown and potentially injury. Makes sense. Great. So, went on a little bit of a segue towards the end, humans, but hopefully you understand why it is really important to train and leave one to two reps in reserve. That wraps up the podcast for today. Hopefully, the uh, information on the fasting and and the training has been really valuable for you. Again, if you do have any questions, send us a message on Instagram, either at human.strength.nutrition or at Coach Courtney Brown. Alternatively, if you want to send us an email, info at humanstrengthandnutrition.com. We'll be back next week for another Q&A session. Thanks so much for tuning in, humans. See you then. Hey, legends, if you'd like a program to help you build strength, fitness, and athleticism, the Human Strength and Performance Program is for you. The perfect balance of strength, conditioning, mobility, and athleticism to help you achieve higher-level physical performance. Head to humanstrength.com.au to find out more.